0: Hello, hello, welcome to Sustainable 198.
1: Oh my god, we're getting close. Welcome yourself, all to Sustainable 198. Welcome to the year 2021. We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, in we all. We are. All about people and the planet and why, despite there being a big blue ocean, sometimes you have to navigate a few turds. Yes? <laughs> Absolutely. Which
0: brings me nicely onto what we're talking about this week, which is poo. poo. Almost specifically, poo where it shouldn't be. We are talking about that, their ocean, the big blue, 70% of planet Earth, that has got far more human poo in it particularly around the bits near where we swim then it should do and we're talking to somebody who knows all about it who swims in said ocean who surfs on top of waves rolling across said ocean every single day that is hugo Tagom, who is the chief executive of surfers against sewage uh, which I'm sure you'll have heard of. They are a marine conservation campaigning charity. They don't just campaign against poo, they campaign against plastic and all sorts of other things. Um, and yeah, we're talking to Hugo about all
1: of that. Yes, we are. We talk about not just poo in the ocean, but poo in Parliament. So we talk about them horrible politicians and what they're going to do about it. We talk about techniques and tactics for getting politicians and horrible businesses to take this thing seriously, oh, because they don't always. And we learn about things that we may originally think are called things like sewage pollution incidents, but which are, let's face it, poo in the sea. And we get all appalled um, and then I stop all asking the question about poo that you wanted to ask. So everything's fine.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, notwithstanding that particular question being vetoed, I think there's a good poo quota in this episode. So you'll be delighted to know, Babel devotees, Babel army, uh, that we start 2021 as we have started the previous six years completely and just unfathomably obsessed with feces
1: just the usual disclaimer we do work for environmental charities don't we all yep but these are very much our own poos i mean views uh, <laughs> i've done that we've done that joke before by the way i'm doing it again we've probably Agreed. also done the thing i'm gonna yeah uh, if any of this uh clogs you up uh then uh work it out by contacting <laughs> me and all directly not anyone for whom we work yes yeah
0: sure bit of a confession um kind of big confession really given who we're talking to neither of us so far as i know has ever been surfing and um i haven't uh okay well there you go both of us haven't been surfing if dave went surfing it would go very very badly wrong because he's just he's got terrible hand-eye coordination but people who do go surfing say that it's brilliant um so tell us tell cretins like me who haven't surfed why like why is surfing so brilliant
2: look i mean surfing can be like good even for cretins i mean i will say that you know and i'm sure that dave you know dave might actually find his like forte you know you, you don't know until you go um and you might you might get in the ocean and suddenly find your your you're carving out turns on waves um, like kelly slater but um You know, I think a lot of people... who I speak to would, would assume that, um, you know, I would, you know, surf, you know, big, big waves and, and, and ride like a, you know, as it were a pro surfer, that's sort of not the case. And I think as with most surfers, you know, you do it because you really love it and it's your access to sort of nature. Um, and it takes me to some really interesting corners where I find waves that are my sort of perfect wave and everyone has their different wave, you know, just like everyone likes a different drink. Some people like wine or beer or or whatever, it's the same with waves and you've got to find your, your thing. Um, And I like finding out little corners with some sort of quiet waves. Um, You know, it gets me into nature, Um, you know, gets me outside with friends into a beautiful environment. Um, Cornwall's got some of the best beaches, not just in the country, but in the world. Um, and, you know, you find your sort of zone. And I particularly find, you know, in this day and age, and not not being sort of ironic, you know, because we're recording a podcast, but, but getting into the water is one of the few places where I, um, you know, I, I'm not plagued by the structures of life. You know, there's no social media in the water with me. There's no one on the phone to me. There's no... Queuing, There's no paying. You're just in the water in nature. Um, and only a small fraction of that time is actually spent riding waves. In, a, in an hour in the water, you might spend, you know, if you're lucky, five minutes actually riding waves. And so it's really about the whole experience, the planning to go where you're going to go, the convergence of knowledge. And it's quite sort of meditative in that way. So um, for me, it's sort of much more than just the act of riding the wave. It's about the whole sort of ritual, the whole process, the whole concentration, just enough concentration to distract you from some of the sort of other pressures and strains of of life in a pandemic year, particularly.
1: Matt, has that board ever actually touched salt water?
2: (laughs) Has this board ever touched
1: salt water? Uh, well, yeah. I just wondered if it, had, you know, have ever done any surfing sort of thing. Martin, yes. Does a bear sit in the woods?
0: Is it? I mean, is it kind of what you would call mindful? Because it, I, I've not done very much climbing, but I've done a little bit of climbing, and I was, I was really struck by how like every fibre of your being is concentrating on not falling off <laughs> a wall. So like you you literally cannot think about anything else and is surfing like a bit like that when when there's when there's a load of water about to dump you on the bottom of the sea yeah i mean
2: um yeah is that is that mindfulness or is that just sort of terror basically when you're clinging <laughs> yeah. to one not very
1: yeah. Yeah. very funny anything that distracts from the boredom will do
2: <laughs> yeah i um I, I think it is you know it's it you know i mean certainly um I think it's got that level of concentration that you need to, to get into what would be a sort of a flow state. And I think a lot of the best things in, in sort of life, you know, are being in that flow state where um, where you're really just doing things instinctively with the sort of learned sort of knowledge where you're you're going with the sort of rhythm around you. Um, and, um, you know, certainly when you start to become um, familiar with doing something, that, that comes even more. So you, you sort of lock into that, that, that sort of... Um, I suppose, automated sort of process that's really nourishing, really, really, um, really fulfilling and rewarding. So, um, but but not sort of too much that sort of you know, taxes the mind and makes your mind, uh, um, sort of hurt. Um, so yeah, it's an, it's an incredible place to be. Um, and everyone finds their own space with that. You know, some people find that in 20 foot waves, some people find it in three feet waves, you know, um, everyone, you know, has their, their, their thing that brings that flow state and that mindfulness. Um, you know, I'm not really into the sort of, sort of, you know, the sort of yoga meditation, sort of mindfulness generally, but I can certainly, um, certainly sort of feel it um in the surfing zone so yes it's 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 great you know and it's not too late Dave so you know come down and come surfing I
1: just think it's one of those I just it's like skiing I sometimes have dreams about surfing and about skiing and I just think in practice I'd spend an awful lot of time hurting myself and I can do that at home like I managed to do it during the recording of a podcast quite easily. I set fire to myself last week. So,
2: yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have a go. I promise you I'll have a go. Just as an aside, you know, I, I get it on the skiing because I'm not a skier, but we went away on holiday right at the beginning of the year before the pandemic and we did go skiing one day and my son took to the nursery slope like a you know a duck to water. I I didn't and I did hurt myself. <laughs> took to it like a brick to water.
1: Well, um, so I reckon surfing sounds really nice until you get a used tampon on your head or you get some human poo in your teeth, and <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like that's a barrel of monkeys. What, like in practice, when that happens? I know this is a stupid, this is old question. Oh, this is such a stupid question. I'll ask it anyway. What do you do when you get human poo on you when you're in the sea? How does how does that make you feel? <laughs> What <laughs> stupid question
2: De- Degraded um, <laughs> Ashamed um, Disgusted I mean there's a whole range of emotions You know that you would go through You know I think for us what's most important Is that you know all of those experiences Are sort of disgust are really the epicentre of what started the movement that is Surface Against Sewage and this voice which has become one of the biggest sort of environmental, you know, ocean-related charities in the UK and potentially one of the most recognisable, you know, in the world, in our sector. You know, because it's a really visceral powerful experience whether it's you know surfing at the mouth of a you know sewer overflow where you might get sick or you might you know get a human turd on your board or you know have tampons or sanitary towels washing past you or whether it's walking over the tide line of plastic that is endemic on every beach of the country now you know it's almost so familiar that people have gone yeah well plastic is and sort of a part of our beach culture you know that you know, that experience is what has driven Surface Against Sewage from day one, you know, and we are still driven by people who surf and use the water um, of course, we don't just represent surface, but what we do is use our experiences and that, um, particularly that sport, to create a movement that is protecting the ocean for everyone. So there's a really powerful visceral response. I've often heard our members describe as described as sort of the canary in the coal mine of these issues. You know, they're they're on the, the on the front line. Um, they are seeing stuff live and direct that other people might not want to see or might not know mm-hmm. about. And we feel it's our job to not only um, raise um, some outrage about that, but also signpost really practical solutions because we don't believe in just creating big stunts for the sake of creating big stunts and and big campaigns for, for just creating headlines, we believe in solutions and signposting solutions and involving people in calling on sort of, you know, the, 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 their voice to be part of the campaign, but also empowering them to take action. And that's that's super important to us.
1: We've got these things here. They're, they're tiny, small plastic particles. They're, the plastic industry calls them nurdles. We call them
2: mermaid's tears. Um, And, you know, we see some pretty, you know, you know, we see some pretty grim stuff, you know, and we still have thousands of sewage pollution events around the coastline every year, despite the good progress and work that we've helped deliver. We see our rivers polluted by last year, 200,000 different sewage pollution events. And that means 1.5 million hours of raw sewage pollution went into our rivers. And you know, these are meant to be places that we think of wild, beautiful spaces that maybe you could go for an open water swim. You could go kayaking or stand up paddle boarding. You could go and maybe have a swim with your kids, um, whatever it might be. And yet we're treating them like the, the open sewers of Victorian times.
1: It, you are out on a surfboard in the sea, in Cornwall where you live or anywhere else. Like, how dangerous or disgusting is it in practice? How, how likely are you to see a turd float past or to get some untreated water up your cake hole? Like, what actually is the problem?
2: It, it's, it's interesting. It's a really good question. Look, last year we recorded, um, um, I think, almost 3,000 raw sewage pollution events around the UK many of which were at our sort of you know bathing waters you know our beaches that people really love um thankfully we we alert people in real time when when that's happening and so people have the opportunity to get information it's a thing called the safer sea service where they can sign up for free alerts at 370 beaches and they can be sent a message, they are sent a message whenever there's sewage going in. So so the the, the chances are minimised, and that's why we uh, do that. Do you mean, actually, just to be absolutely clear
1: what you're saying here, when you're saying raw sewage pollution events, you mean shit, discharged at volume straight into the sea? Uh, yeah, straight into the anything.
2: sea, or straight into a river that goes into the sea. Yeah, basically. I mean, the water companies would differ. They'd go, oh, it's a mixture of, like, rainwater and raw sewage, and so no, it's yeah. not quite the same. you go, well, no, because... The, the raw shit gets diluted at some stage always. So by the time it's in C, you'll always say it's a diluted mixture. So let's not go around that. If you are responsible for that shit and it goes into any body of water, let's not call it diluted. Let's just call it what it is. It's shit, basically. And so, so yeah, we, we, we like to say it as it is on the tin. Let's not you, use any sort of euphemisms for what that, that stuff is. You know, it's still raw, untreated sewage, which, incidentally, the water companies would have been paid by their customers to treat because that's the contract between the customer and the water company. I pay you to treat my sewage effluent, you treat it and you don't pollute the environment. So something's gone wrong in that contract. Um, And that's why we've, you know, that's why this year we've, you know, we've done a load of campaigning again on, on that, we've, we've got, you know, tens of thousands of supporters who are involved in our End Sewage Pollution petition. We're working on the, you know, to influence the Environment Bill to try and get legislation changed, to put more pressure on water companies, to, you know, to to, to in our sort of campaigning sort of time frame. I and mean, it, it always takes quite a long time to try and end sewage pollution by 2030, this huge decade we've got ahead of us, which the environment is really central to. It's the UN decade of, you know, um, ocean um, science for sustainable development. It's the UN decade of ecosystem restoration. Now, how are we ever going to reto- restore our ecosystems if we're pumping 1.5 million hours of sewage pollution into our rivers? It's like, it's not going to happen. So, like, we really think that from uh, from an industry that makes billions of pounds every year um, and uh, has questionable offshore sort of tax havens at times, we would say... They could probably do more to protect the environment and the people that use it. I mean, it's just pretty much common sense.
0: Does either one of you have anything even remotely interesting to tell me?
2: Caught my first tube this morning,
1: sir.
0: It's getting better. so how how are things now compared to when you started out because you've you've been at this for a while um and i guess like when back when you started there was a bit of a, a term for the uk which was like the dirty man of europe or something and, and you know referring to the state of its beaches and stuff not necessarily i remember europe Tory remember Europol? i remember europe good old europe <laughs> that was a fun thing <laughs> while it lasted um but like the The narrative is that things have got quite a lot better since then. Have have they, or are things kind of plateauing, getting worse? What's how do you see it now?
2: Yeah, look, I would say we're we're in the second wave, is what I would say. So there because- was this, you know, um, the, you know, the water industry was privatized in nineteen eighty nine, and there was like a load of legislation that came in 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 the early. Um, uh, 90s, in, in 1991 particularly, that, that helped drive a lot of investment from water companies I mean they basically had to clean up their app because back then they were always pumping out raw sewage, you know, continuously um, so we made a lot of progress because they invested, you know, quite a, quite a lot of money in, that fir- in tackling the first wave um, and they, they did that well um, and, um, and there were some inbuilt flaws in what they did um, particularly with these things called combined sewer overflows um, and they sort of rested on their laurels. They said, you know, we've you know, we sort of done this. We've, we've tackled the issue. But lo and behold, um, we're now in the second wave where we're seeing our rivers basically decimated by sewage and agricultural pollution. And we're seeing the return of the spectre of sewage pollution on our coastline. Um, we, we don't really know what's happening through the Environment Bill properly yet. We don't know what, how the government will be held to account What will the Office for Environmental Protection look like? So we risk now uh, uh, potentially becoming the dirty man of Europe again, where Mm. um, sort of red tape cutting, which the, the government often proclaims, which is really a euphemism for saying, let's take away anything that stops business from doing business, even if it damages the environment, you know, let's just call it red tape. And we've seen where that gets us with all sorts of things, particularly the financial industries. We've seen what red tape cutting does. It ends up costing the taxpayer much, much more, whilst a few people get very, very rich and the environment gets, you know, often degraded much, much faster. We've taken back control of our laws and our destiny.
0: We've taken back control of every jot and tittle of our regulation in a way that is complete and unfettered. And I want to stress that... Uh,
2: you know, I think Albert, it's our job uh, to keep flagging yeah. that. It's our job to keep pressing and keep pushing because, um, you know, environmentalism and protecting our ocean um, and, and restoring nature has never been more important. And it's, it's a job that never stops... You know, you can't say we won absolutely. There's never an absolute victory. I mean, look at look at everything that's happened. Look at Surfers Against Sewage. Look at the big charities, the Green yeah, Pieces, yeah. the WWFs, the Marine Conservation Societies, all of the brilliant people, the campaigners, the diplomats, the people who could do sort of, uh, you know, who could approach these issues in any way, in any number of ways. Look at the state of the planet still. Look at where we're at in terms of our environment being absolutely wrecked every day by you know, in the capitalism by um, a small number of interests aggregating a lot of profits and, and, and wealth in small spaces. And, and ultimately, we've got to fight harder than ever before to, to right these wrongs. Um, because if we let these huge corporations do what they've been doing for the last 30, 40 years... We're gonna be in real trouble. We know that. All of the evidence. All of the evidence says that. There's nothing that there's nothing that anyone can show us that says we're not in big trouble if we carry on with business as usual.
1: There are times and there are seasons. There is a time to surf and there is a time to wax your board. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about surfing. I'll go have a tangent for a minute here. You know what this makes me think like makes you, me Dave, think unlike of you. unlike me, I know. It makes me think of the trains that I used to get when I lived in I used to get trains to London and they were trains that this is a few years ago I don't think they exist now but they were trains where you had a poo in the toilet and the poo would go straight onto the tracks and I think probably there are still trains in the UK where that happens right and you know that thing when you go I can't actually believe we still do that and I can't actually believe that we still like that we put poo in the sea albeit as a whatever you said overflow moment or whatever like, I can't believe that is the thing that we do and when you actually just Put it to people like that, I reckon most people would go that's bloody horrible I can't believe we do that and it seems categorically a different thing to be campaigning on what you're doing than some of the stuff that greenies bang on about, like gigajoules of energy from some magic wind farm that goes around and makes something magic happen um, so do you get inspired do you get empowered by that sense that you can actually tell you can point to literal jobbies in the ocean. Like, it's very visceral and powerful. Do you reckon it really hits people in a way that some of the other stuff doesn't?
2: Yeah, look, I think there's a, re- a really powerful story and, and, and there's different approaches from sort of different organisations. But I think one of the the challenges of many environmental organisations is the, the presentation of, of, of the issues can become too big and lose people along the way, become too scientific, become too distant from their day-to-day experiences um, and unrelatable to, to, to their lives. And I think where, we, where we're, I'm sort of adamant and always making sure that we, we keep in the right space is that we, all of our campaigns are driven by those real life things and those very real and understandable things that people interact with. And, you know, we're talking about the sewage pollution issue, which I'm really pleased that we're driving some really hard campaigns on at the moment. Um, and trying to really pressure MPs to engage with. And, you know, we've met with the Secretary of State recently on this. We've got mobilized tens of thousands of people. We've got it back in the headlines, all of these things alongside other great charities. And there's some big stuff coming in 2021. Um, But it's the other stuff, too. It's the emerging things that I'm really proud of, too. The the plastics issue has has really stuck with people. And, of course, it's because the tide line that they see of of pollution is pretty similar to the the, the table they're eating their lunch at. You know, it's the same brands. It's Coca-Cola. It's LucasAid. It's McDonald's. um, It's Cadbury's. It's all of these things that they see every day in the shops on their you know, lunch table, wherever it may be, that they see on the tide line, um, uh, and uh, and it it creates this outrage and a really understandable, you know, action that they consider sort of take, and um, whether that's refusing plastics or changing their lifestyles or campaigning really hard with us, um, and the the job that we have to do with that issue, with with you know, ocean and climate issues, with with water quality, is take people on a journey because. What I would say to people is is we're here to empower them and here to say that it's not your fault. And we want you to take action individually, but your collective actions is what really matters. And not because they they clean up the planet themselves necessarily. It's because they create a message and they create pressure on the systems that control us. Because ultimately we need to change the legislation that you know that the, the, the companies work within that we work within. They need to we need to change how Businesses do business on this planet because if we don't do that, you know, we're not going to be able to pick our way out of this mess. No number of beach cleans will will, will compensate for the amount of plastic Coca Cola and Pepsi Cola and um, and other companies are creating. So we need to we need to stop them, you know, at source, and they need to change how they're doing business because they would love it to be our fault. You know, always it's about personal responsibility for these big companies. Always, oh, if right. you change your habits, we'll save the planet because it it it, it basically removes any responsibility from themselves and that really worries me and so People should think about their individual actions being, of course, important because they can change their own footprint on this planet, you know, in terms of impact. But much more importantly, because it can connect with others, it can join up with whatever organization you love, and it can actually put pressure on people who can change those systems. Because we're trapped in a carbon system, we're trapped in a plastic system, we're trapped in an economic system. And we can shuffle the deck chairs around within those, but we do need to fundamentally change them to protect the planet.
0: And that's the story of like, of litter and, and pollution. whichever kind of sphere you look at it, right? It's as you say, if you're if you're staring at a tide line which is packed full of Coke bottles and McDonald's stuff and all the rest of it, then McDonald's will be telling you, "Look at those awful customers of ours," or probably not our customers, probably Burger King customers because they're worse. But like, look at them throwing their litter where they shouldn't and you know same with what the oil company's been saying to us about carbon isn't it you know look at you not getting your carbon footprint down well enough you know not doing enough not doing enough energy efficient driving it's like screw you look
2: at all your rubbish in our sodding ocean right yeah, look. I mean, and, and we like the framing is really important because you 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 use a really interesting you know word there in our sphere, which is is littering. You know, and, and let's let's sort of you know if we think about the frame of that, it keeps it keeps the plastic pollution issue with the individual. It's always about the individual. Oh, look at this litter everywhere, and it's not nothing to do with the the, the company but if it 's plastic pollution it's it, it 's the company 's fault and there 's a really important part of that framing for us let 's you know let 's use a sort of a, a crude example if we if we think about sort of carbon carbon emissions from cars now the the government didn 't go out and say right actually there 's so much carbon coming out of your cars that you should stop driving your cars because that wasn 't a message that was right and it wasn 't actually the right thing what they said is as car manufacturers, you have to make engines that emit less less carbon dioxide. And actually, ultimately, we probably want you to emit no carbon dioxide. So let's think of that in the plastic pollution frame and all of the rubbish sort of single-use items that we see. What pressure we need to put on is not just to tell people sort of stop consuming them or just pick up more plastic pollution or litter, as they'd call it. We need to say to those companies, stop making so much plastic crap. Um, you know, create... things that are truly circular so you can turn a you know a Bit of packaging back into packaging, you know, reduce wherever you can, redesign wherever you can, and just eliminate the stream that is sort of the stream of pollution that I would describe as broadly just passing through people's hands. Now, I wouldn't say that we would exonerate anyone who is littering our beaches or other wild spaces because that is bad behavior, but it's too simplistic just to say they are the problem because actually, the sheer volume of stuff, and particularly when I hear from, you know, from you know, previous generations, because a lot of people come to me, they go, Hugo, Hugo, you know, in my day, in my day, it wasn't this bad, you know. We, you know, we we all knew what to do. We were good, we were good people, good society, but now look at the oiks on this, street, look at all of those people who who were chucking this rubbish around terrible. And you go, Well look, in your day fast food didn't exist. We had no high street coffee chains. You all sat down for lunch. There was no fast pace of life. You probably had a couple of hours at lunchtime, started work at nine, finished at twelve, had two hours, whatever it was, and it's not the same anymore. And so whilst I'd never, you know, condone anyone littering, I'd say look, it's like comparing apples and pears. You know, it's a different age. You know, it's like, it's like, like, you know, a, a Victorian's, like, criticising us for driving cars around. Sorry, run over. You can't part there, Dave.
1: Do you reckon, I think underneath what you're saying, I've just been reading, I've just been reading some Yanis Varoufakis. Oh, what do you think about that? We should get him on the babble. Um, I think he you is... should
0: stop showing off about reading clever books. That's what <laughs> I
1: think. <laughs> but, but underneath everything he basically says, it ultimately comes down to... We need people. The people will at some point demand that this stuff doesn't happen anymore. And it sounds a bit like that's what you're saying as well, Hugo, that like you, you don't really have much faith in politicians or business to do this unless so people demand it and go stop putting all that shit in the ocean. Um, so do you think people do you think we are on the
2: cusp of that kind of movement? Do you think people do get it to that extent? Yeah, look, I think we're in a really interesting decade. And, you know, e- even since I, you know, started at Surface Against Sewage, you know, I think the world is a radically different place in terms of environmental sort of conscien- consciousness and awareness. And I'm hopeful, and I'll always be an optimist. And I think we're all like, um, you know we're, we're all here on planet ocean, and until our final breath we can always be optimists and like why not you know why not say look we can we can we can do better always always right right up until the metronome stops you can you can do that, why not and so and and, and for me um you know, for me, I I do think it's about an uprising of people, but we need to get away from some of this disinformation of of, of it being you know, of companies saying, look, we're just creating what the consumer wants, you know we're just, you know, we're just doing what we're being sort of asked for, you know, and until the consumers stop, we won't, you know, know, stop stop making it, and I I don't agree with that you know, I think the consumers get what they're given and they get get advertised to, to, to make them think that they need something or want something you know, people have existed, you know, really Happily, and potentially even more happily than today, without a lot of the products that we have and a lot of the the things that are thrust upon us um, as a necessity. Um, and they don't necessarily make people happier. They don't necessarily make people richer. They don't necessarily make people healthier. Um, they don't necessarily connect people more with the environment. And so, for me, I think there's a lot of a lot of challenges we've got to go through um, with with questioning this this thing. And it's not just and not just for the the affluent people who can make a choice and have free time because then some of this stuff can become sort of virtue signaling. It's like, look, I've, you know, refill my coffee cup, but I go away five times to, to, to the Bahamas every year. You know, that's, that's not what we want to see. What we want to see is like really sort of accessible, sustainable thinking. And we need to see a whole change in the framework of, of what we're doing, um, you know, on the planet. So, so you know, I, I think people have to rise up. And we've seen that brilliantly in the last, few years with the sort of the climate movement and young people mobilizing on that you know of course led by Greta you know we're seeing XR which is interesting love some of the texture not sure about some of the calls and the actual route map that we see from them so brilliant you know brilliant in in raising profile but 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 how are they making it happen? Because people need, you know, people need not just to be told that the the world is burning, they need to know and understand how they can be part of stopping it from burning and how their voices actually amplify and what processes, because we do have processes and much as politics is frustrating, ultimately we need to use our structures to be able to, 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 to change what's happening in the planet. So we need to call for better legislation to protect the environment. We can't just say, oh, legislation doesn't work and it's rubbish. We need to say, well, how do we make Make it better, and how do we enforce it better? Not just say, "Oh, well, the system doesn't work and it's broken, and we need to stop everything." Because we can't stop the world now. We can't go right back to basics. Not everyone's going to go and say, "Right, I'm going to grow my own vegetables and feed myself and do you know do things in a way that a small minority of really dark green people can do because of whatever situation they've got." We need to make sure that the world can continue and that people can be fed educated that they have the resources they need that that jobs are still there and that's why this this pandemic is interesting because we 've seen that the world needs to change, and we 've got this opportunity now because we know the economy is in a, a dreadful state around the world in all, all you know developed countries as it were and, and, and everywhere and we need to really use this as the moment to come out with a, a, a green revolution economically. We need to invest properly now in in, in, in the, the greenest technology, which will create green jobs and and help restore our planet and protect our planet, and we don 't need to be doing things like building. Thirty billion pounds worth of new roads um, you know th- those sorts of things that are just going to lead us in the wrong direction so I think I think this is the time that, that we need to make the, the radical green investments that are about creating jobs and optimism and just to sort of finish on that I, I feel I feel we're going into a place which is more optimistic about the, the combination of progress and protecting the planet because for me we've we've come through some decades of, of conservation um, sort of rhetoric which I, I, I've been personally a big fan of. But I, I fear that the public might sometimes see conservation as a word and a, a premise as something that prevents progress. And we're moving now into a space of restoration, restoring the planet. And I think people can align that much more with progress. They can say, we're restoring the planet so we can carry on thriving on the planet, so we can do more and we can experience more. And I think that is a more positive and hopeful message for people um, as we go through these challenges. And people need that hope. They need radical truth. They need radical optimism. And they need radical hope and solutions to deliver the future that we all need to thrive on the planet.
0: You talked a bit there about about politicians and, you know, they're, they're the only game in town, aren't they? Like you say, we can't just pretend that if we by ignoring uh, legislation, ignoring Parliament and luring politics, that we can achieve everything we want to achieve. We've got to go to them. But some of us go to them dressed in ill-fitting suits because we're trying to pretend we're like grown-ups and, you know, oh, MPs wear suits, we will wear suits, and they'll respect us more. I've noticed that like uh, big lobbies and stuff. Surface against sewage. Turn up in wetsuits with surfboards. And two things struck me about that. One is that if I tried to do that, people would just be looking at lumps and bumps in all the wrong places, and it would just it would be very embarrassing. And I suspect that people who surf every day have a have a different kind of combination of lumps and bumps. Put it that way. But the <laughs> other thing that struck me is that like. That's got to be a, an effective way to be remembered, right? Like, is particularly if you have got a harpoon with you, that would make it <laughs> <a harpoon down. laughs> particularly if you have got a harpoon. But is it like, do do you find that like that's actually a really smart way to make sure that the one people, the one set of lobbyists, they don't forget that day are the people who turned up in wetsuits?
2: Yeah, look, uh, uh, absolutely, it's been a you know a campaign tool for a while, and you know you know, carrying an inflatable turd in a wetsuit with a gas mask on. You know. <laughs> Have you done that? Yeah, um, you know, along the streets of London or wherever else, you know, turning up with surfboards in London, you know, all of that sort of stuff, you know, really still captures, you know, hearts and minds um, and is a, you know, is a, is a calling card for Surfers Against Sewage. And, you know, I think, um, I, think I haven't turned up with a harpoon yet, but like it just made me just just yeah, as an aside it made me sort of think because i've i've got danish heritage and i my uh, ancestors were were from an island called Roma just off of you know off the coast of denmark and i think they were whalers <laughs> in trade and i sometimes feel i'm sort of making amends for for what they did, so I haven't <laughs> done the harpoon yet, but it might be sort of appropriate as a as a as a as a thing. But um
0: if you harpoon JP, Jacob Rees Mogg and like get put in prison, the Babel will will put we'll up the bail. We'll bail you out for that.
2: Price. Yeah, well, yeah, well, um, I'm not, it might be a tactic too far, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> M- M- Mr. Speaker, my right Friend is, I think, rarely and uncharacteristically naive about this. That the House did not wish to, pass but
2: then I. The I will also put on an ill-fitting suit and I can be a master of that sort of shiny legged ill-fitting suit that um, you you might see on a sort of a salesman in the in the car phone warehouse. And, um, um, you know, great brand car phone warehouse, you know, similar problems to us in terms of the name, who wants a car phone these days? And uh, we're not just about sewage, but still you you stay with the brand, it it, it sort of works. and, um, and I will go into Parliament and I'll sit around the table and then I'll be very diplomatic. And I think that's where we're quite different from other organisations. We've got one foot in the establishment, weirdly, and then one foot like on the beach. And that's really useful. Like, why be fully pinned downable? Why not? be able to, to, to adapt to the people you're speaking to and create impact in different ways. But the really important thing is that your message and your values and your consistency of what you're calling for stays the same. Don't change what you're campaigning for. Sometimes change how you're speaking to people, change how you're engaging with people. All sorts of people engage in different ways. You can't just shout. You can't just wave placards. You've got to be able to do different things for different people. And that's how you build consensus. You've got to be able to listen You've got to be able to engage in various ways. And, and we feel that the, the inflatable turd, the wetsuit and the gas mask are brilliant parts of our arsenal. But equally, the shiny suit has delivered some pretty big impact. Less photogenic in many ways, probably not like a sort of, a, you know, a, a BBC sort of photo story. But nevertheless, it's delivered some impressive <laughs> not as, results.
1: Not as impressive as harpooning Boris Johnson would. I reckon you'll only give that a go. <laughs>
2: yeah, he'd, yeah. He probably yeah, you probably need a harpoon for that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So that is just about it for another episode of The Babel. Thank you very, very much, Hugo, for, well, frankly, for running surface against sewage and doing so much cool stuff, um, but also for coming to talk to us and being lovely. So,
1: yes, you can get in touch with us and you can tell us what you thought of the chat. Uh, we are on the Facebook at, what is it? Sustainababble. We're on Twitter at The Babble Wagon, or you could email us to hello at sustainababble.fish. Thank you to the wonderful Dickie Moore, What Does the Music, What Starts and Ends and Intertwinkles, this podcast. And thank you to Dave, the Dave, legendary Dave, Dave, Arthur Dave, Stouville. Dave, Dave,
0: Dave, Dave, Dave. Dickie Moore sent me, and I think you, his new album, Before Christmas. And it's bloody brilliant. So don't just, like, love Dickie Moore and think, oh, Dickie Moore's great. Go and buy his album and listen to it. Put it loud on your Aircraft. lovely your lovely speakers or your headphones or whatever it's what's it it's, called it's called fabrifactions and by, it's bearcraft, fantastic bearcraft by bearcraft, yeah. bearcraft yes. which is Dickie moore it's really good i know he's our friend and i would say that anyway but i was listening to it this morning well loud, and it's great go and listen to it no more importantly go and
1: buy it i don't care if you listen to it just buy it if you've ever caught yourself humming the Babble theme tune, imagine a whole album that good. Uh, yes. So there we are. Good. Now, what was I saying? Uh, yes, thank you to the legendary Arthur Stovall for the logo what adorns our T-shirts and our uh, merchandise, which is T-shirts. What else? Oh, podcast. Thank you to the legendary... Now, yes, what else was I saying? Symbolic. Thank you to the legend. What was I saying? It's 2021. Yes, what was I saying? We started
0: yes, yes, yes. this six years ago and we still yes. can't do this. I, I think, know. look... Look, the only important thing to, left to say now is give us money. If you'd like right. to give us money, go to Patreon, patreo com forward slash Sustainababble and give us some money. Thank you so much to the people that do give us money. We really appreciate it. You are lovely and wonderful people and you make a huge difference. Uh, if you would like to be one of those lovely and wonderful people, just go over there. Give us some money and you know you will have good karma
1: right good uh thank you very much oh i am off to metaphorically learn to surf i say metaphorically because i would i would be so bad at it come on you would like you would. i really really would I'd, i look at people doing it and i just think i wouldn't be able to do that
0: there are many many things that you are unfathomably good
1: at what mm, i can
0: make that thinking. noise i can do th-
1: i can make the noise this noise that noise
0: yeah you're very good at that but there are some things that you are bad at um, and that involves kind of physical coordination and stuff and and I just like that's fine everyone's allowed to be good at some things and bad at other things I just don't think you should do surfing despite <laughs> Hugo's kind offer I think you should be the one like on the beach doing a nice bit of audio about it while old goes for a surf
1: you're on very happy with this arrangement Right, very good. (laughs) See you next week. Bye. Bye. So, look, seeing as we're talking about um, disappointing but predictable amounts of shit, uh, you're an Arsenal fan. (laughs) And I just wanted wanted to ask you how you felt this season was going. All right.